Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Stolen Goodbyes podcast with me, Karen Rice. This is being recorded remotely due to the COVID-19 restrictions. Today, I'm joined by Jane Smith from Farringdon in Oxfordshire, who lost her husband, Godfrey, known as Goff, to COVID-19 on April the 4th. He was 71 years old. Welcome, Jane. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for all you're doing for all of us. Thank you. I'd like to begin by asking you what Goff was like as a person, as a husband and as a father. Goff was a very large personality, both at home and in the town of Farringdon, where we live. We've been married for nearly 30 years, and we'd known each other for nearly 40 years when he died. He was very, very well known in the local community because he had been an ambulance first responder and had answered emergency calls to all sorts of people in all sorts of areas around Farringdon and he had saved many people's lives for which they were obviously very grateful. It was his calling. He loved to help other people. It was what he wanted to do and it was his life. He loved to do first aid and to help people. And how did you meet? In a field Um, he was doing first aid um, at a craft show in a field and I was helping with the craft show and he asked me if I would like a lift home and I said no thank you I'd rather go home with my friends but he was persistent he was persistent oh that's lovely so he had his his, uh, sight set on you then on the first, on our first date, he forgot his wallet and took me out for a lovely meal and forgot his wallet. On the second date, he left the headlights on the car. But on the third date, it was all all right. <laughs> That's funny. And what was he like as a father to yourself? Oh, he he loved he loved Matthew. He had got has got two other children from his first marriage and unfortunately things happened that they weren't very close and he didn't see much of them towards the the end of things but he he adored Matthew he loved Matthew and I used to say that Matthew was a little gofflet because he is incredibly like his father incredibly like his father that must be a comfort yeah great musicians, technical things, wires and plugs and things like that. You you know, I think we've probably got thousands and thousands of bits of wire that I don't know what they belong to and plugs and lights and sockets and things in this house. And can you tell me what Goff's most lovable quality was? The Goffness of him, the, the fact that he wanted to help everybody and that he he just loved people. He he wanted to be there for other people. It was the 
the givingness of his personality. And what do you miss about him on a daily basis? He, you know, I mean, we've been married 30 years. Um, I was still teaching and he at last started his own first aid company. He'd been very reticent to do this, to launch into the deep and start his own first aid company. Having worked, he, he was a serving brother of St. John Ambulance and had also worked for Red Cross. And he eventually decided to start his own first aid company. And it was an incredible success. He, he spent most of January and February this year on the computer, organising all the duties that he was going to be doing for this year and being worried that he wasn't going to have enough people to cover them all and, and enough time to help everybody. And he was so excited about the future, so excited about what was going to happen this year which of course hasn't happened anyway, because all the things that he planned didn't happen because of COVID. But it's the one thing that I hold very close is that he died a success. He died a success and he knew he was a success. And after he died, I had letters from the Lord Lieutenant of Oxfordshire, from all sorts of people, to thank me for all that Goff did for everybody. And that, although it's sad, it's a great honour that they thought enough of him that they would write to me. That's lovely. Yeah. That's probably tricky, but can you think of a highlight or highlights of your relationship? Um, Usually, being Goff, he loved caravans. He loved caravans. And we had a little caravan and I could tow this caravan about and do reverses round corners and do everything. But being off, this wasn't good enough. We had to have a bigger caravan, which I managed to write off on the M5. Um, um, Two years ago. And he didn't bat an eyelid. He, he, He just stood there and said, oh dear, it's broken. And... Uh, you, you know, he he valued people, that so which was quite interesting, and so he went out and replaced it with exactly the same caravan, uh, which I wrote off on the A thirty four on a bank holiday Monday. So I know those are things that I did, but Goff just said the second time, "Well, there won't be a third one, will there?" Very good. <laughs> he loved canal boats. He loved to go on canal boats and we had some um, interesting canal boat holidays when he knocked the chimney off a friend's canal boat and uh, did things like this. How is it that you two clicked? I don't know. We just did. I think he was feeling a bit, I know he was feeling a bit battered from the breakup of his first marriage. And I think I provided the the softer touch that I I told him what a super person he was because he was and he was just a fantastic chap and I think he loved me because I was a sort of a nurturing person who made him feel good about himself and 
joined him in all his exploits as well. You know, even when I wasn't particularly keen, I'd roll my sleeves up and we'd, we'd get on with it together, together. The firm was together, life was together, and everything was together. And tell me, did he have a, a favourite saying, or was there anything? I do not believe it. And I used to call him, yes, Victor, you know, Victor Meldrew. Um, yes, I do not believe it. Very, very good. <laughs> okay. Goff was healthy? He had recent well not recently but he had developed diabetes in his later years um but he was doing all he could to control it and to to look after himself but other than that he was fine oh he was fine absolutely fine obviously the pandemic broke Mm. and in typical goth style i understand that he he cared for his best friend who had covid19 tell me about that he, again, he liked to help. This gentleman, Phil, had moved into Farringdon on New Year's Day. He had got multiple sclerosis. He was primarily bed-bound. Um, his partner um, worked all sorts of different hours. And as they were so new, they hadn't organised any other care. So Goff was on call day and night. And so... Um, if Phil was in problems, cold, hot, feeling poorly, needing something to eat, needing a cup of tea, he'd ring Goff and Goff, Goff would go. Goff sorted out door alarms and, and systems and things and lent them heaters and and did so much because he really, really, really enjoyed that. And he he was so pleased to help. And did uh, his friend recover from COVID-19? Yes, yes. He, he made a complete recovery. Of course, it was in the very early days when we didn't know quite how tough a virus it was. And yes, Phil made a complete and utter recover. No sign of long COVID or anything. Obviously still very poorly with multiple sclerosis, but he's still around. Okay, can you describe for me how Goff fell ill himself Mm, Sunday he didn't feel very well and in our usual fashion I said oh it's man flu you're just making a scene it's man flu if it was me I'd just shrug it off because Goff never coughed Goff never had some of the symptoms that at that stage we were looking for he didn't feel very well Whenever he'd got a cold, he would always go to his chest. So when he said he was chesty, we thought he was chesty. He went to the local pharmacy on the Tuesday and the pharmacist said, oh, yes, it's the flu. Have some day and night, nurse, which Goff took. And we still thought he had had got a cold because there were... There was no coughing. And perhaps he was a bit like some men, you know, when when we have a cold, we've got a cold, but when they've got a cold, it's the flu. And that's perhaps why I made fun of him and said, oh, it's man flu, Goff. And I was out teaching on the Wednesday and our son Matthew was at home and 
he knew that there was something more than the flu the matter. So he called an ambulance, two of Goff's friends from the local ambulance service, who, of course, he knew, arrived. And I think they probably had a very pleasant chat. And they said that they were pretty certain Goff had got COVID, but that as he was able to talk in full sentences, he was obviously sufficiently well that they didn't need to take him into a hospital. And I think they probably had a pleasant meeting and off they went. And then on the Thursday, I obviously couldn't go teaching because I had to isolate. And it was obvious on Thursday he wasn't very well at all. And of course, by then we'd got this great big COVID word in our minds. He had remained at home after the... Yes, he was at home. He was at home here. And I remember thinking... Well, it's just as well Goff gets COVID now because then it'll get it out of the way and then he can go out and help others because he'll be immune. And I actually thought that. I did not think that what was going to happen would happen. I I was upset, obviously, that he got COVID, but because we knew so little about it, I I thought, well, you know, we'll have a few rough days and, and I might get it and Matthew might get it. Goff will be able to say he's immune and he can go and help. So what happened then? And then obviously as the day went on, he became more and more breathless, more and more panicky. And being Goff and knowing about first aid, the ambulance crew the day before had said, keep an eye on your sats, Goff, keep an eye on your sats, which means that you have to have the... Um, the little saturation meter on the end of one of your fingers, which shows how much oxygen is is in your system and his saturation levels. They should be 100% or just below 100%. His saturation levels were going down and they were going down quickly. And of course, he could see this and he kept on checking and we kept on saying, don't look at it. Don't, you know, that will, will get you in a state. Anyway, in the evening he was finding it very difficult and I took the decision to ring 999 and of course looking back on it the ambulance came incredibly quickly I just said that it was Gough Smith and that he'd had an ambulance out the day before and that his saturation levels were going down and he was distressed and they arrived And the ambulance crew took some time to decide what to do and to talk to him. And I began to panic. It was getting out of my control. I I couldn't do anything to help. And Matthew, our son, was very, very brave. He packed a bag for Goff. He found all the things that Goff would need for what we imagined would be a short stay in hospital. And Goff decided that as we're halfway between Oxford and Swindon, he would like to go to Swindon because it was slightly closer to home and it was easier to park there. And so he thought it would be easier for me to go and visit him. So he chose to go to Swindon. The ambulance crew rang up and Swindon said, yes, of course, we'll have him. They put him on oxygen and 
he walked down the stairs here at home and I said to him, are you all right? And he said, yes, somebody has got to help me with this. And he then proceeded to talk to the ambulance crew about how he couldn't believe that he'd used nearly a cylinder of oxygen. And as he got into the ambulance, they were talking ambulance men talk. And as the ambulance went round the corner, I just had a feeling. I didn't really say goodbye to him. I, because I thought I would be visiting. I thought he would be back. I said, would you let me know where you are? Will you let me know what happens? And he said, yes, of course. And he was too busy talking to his friends. He went to the Great Western and he, he rang me about an hour later to say that he was very pleased. He was in the private suite because they turned the private suite into the COVID ward. And he'd seen some lovely doctors and they'd said that they were going to keep him on oxygen for a couple of days. And if he was no better, they would have to send him up to intensive care, which of course struck an arrow into my heart. But I said to him, you will let me know where you are, won't you? And he said, yes, of course. And one of the things we'd always said throughout all our years is we will never say goodbye. But I said, and I was beginning to get upset. And he said, please don't get upset. Because if you get upset, so will I. And I said, all right, love, look after yourself. And he, goodbye. Goodbye. And of course it was goodbye. Because an hour later, they rang to say he was in intensive care. He was on a ventilator. And that was goodbye. He was on a ventilator for 14 days. They were incredible. They rang me up twice every day. We had a few setbacks. Kidneys not right. Things like this. They were incredible. They said things like, you know, we know he's diabetic, we're looking after him, we're going to get him a bit more food with a bit more vomph in it. You know, you know, I wasn't daft, he wasn't having steak and chips, but they were incredible. And they then said, we think we can withdraw the ventilator, we think we can take the pipe out. And we lived for several days with, we're not quite ready to take the pipe out yet, Jane, but we will take the pipe out. And then the nurse rang up and said, I've taken the pipe out, Jane. He's going to be sent to the ward. How are you feeling at that point? Were you hopeful? Well, the first night in 14 days, I slept. I slept. I, I thought, he's coming home. He's going to be all right. He's, he's beaten this thing. He's goff. He's a great big man. He's this personality he will bite, he will conquer it, he will fight it. And the next day, nobody rang, and, and I rang, and they said, no, he's left ITU, but we don't quite know where he's gone. And because they'd been so good, and I knew by then that they were getting so busy with other people, 
I decided not to bother them. I thought they've taken care of him. They've loved him. They've looked after him. I must leave them to do their job. And on Friday the 3rd of April, I eventually thought, I can't take this any longer. It was the Wednesday I knew that they'd taken him off the ventilator. Um, I can't stand this any longer. And I managed to find out which ward he was in. And I rang the ward, all full of, oh, you know, my husband's there. And the nurse said, oh, we couldn't find your number. The doctor's been trying to ring you. And my heart sank. And I knew what was going to happen then. About half an hour later, a kind doctor rang and said, Goff is very poorly, Jane. You must understand that he is very poorly. We're taking a, a blood gas, a blood test. We're doing all we can, but you must know that he is very poorly. And about three hours later, they rang and said, come in. And so Matthew and I went in, knowing why we were going in. And we went to the ward and they showed us into a lovely single room where there was a nurse sitting with this poor gentleman who I didn't even recognise to start with. And when I went round and saw his glittery eyes, I knew it was golf. And there was the, the sound of people who die, the in their throat the the noise that they make when they're close to death and I couldn't believe it was coming from Goff it was coming from the window or the wall or something or other and I don't really know what I said to him because I was so shocked that he looked so shrunken and so weary and was unconscious and yet seemed to react a little bit to Matthew's voice. Matthew was so strong. He spoke to his father. He talked to him about the silly things. And there was a little bit of reaction, but Goff was obviously quite distressed that he was moving around. And I, I almost couldn't stay. And I went out of the room and there was a doctor there. And I said, he's suffering. Please don't let him suffer. I beg you, please don't let him suffer. And I went back in and a nurse came and said she was going to give him an injection. And after the injection, he closed his eyes. And Matthew and I both knew. We didn't know how long it was going to take for him to eventually die. And we, we knew we had to leave. So I opened the door when my husband was dying and I walked out and they were so kind and on the Saturday in the morning the doctor called Dr Rosemary rang and said I was with him Jane he's gone and through pressure of work and all the other things there we eventually realised that he hadn't got his wedding ring on and the hospital couldn't seem to find it. So I got in the car and I drove back and I went up to the ward 
And as I went into the ward, Dr. Rose re-met me and she gave me a cuddle. And I know that perhaps she shouldn't have done, but that just shows her humanity. And of course, they'd got everything there. They'd got all of God's things there. They were safe. And I worry about that day when I seem to lose him. But their humanity and their love and their care, they didn't put him in a cupboard and leave him. And of course, once he died, that was it. We we found, a, again, a friend of Goff's, who was a funeral director, who said, I'll look after him, Jane. He told me when he collected Goff, because we had to wait some days for the death certificate, because it was over a weekend. The registrar, who we had to ring up to register Goff's death, we started professionally, and he suddenly said, it's Goff. You can't mean this. This is the registrar. It's Goff. I know him. The funeral directors know, knew him. They rang me up and said, he's here, Jane. We've got him home with us. Do you want to say anything to it? And because we had to stand three metres, two metres apart for the funeral, I couldn't let Matthew at 26 have to stay two metres apart from me. God's brother would have had to have stayed two metres away from us. And I decided that we would have an unaccompanied funeral because it, it wasn't fair on Matthew or me or Stephen for us to be, not be able to comfort each other. I would have seen Matthew breaking his heart over his father. And as a mother, I couldn't do that and I couldn't do it to him. The funeral director said, do you want to know? And I said, no, I don't want to know. But I knew. I knew all day on the Tuesday after Easter, Tuesday after Easter Monday. I knew. And the funeral director rang up and he said, Jane, I took him all the way through. I went all the way through with my friend. And that's what COVID does. We've got his ashes back. Goff's come home, but he's not cough. I'm so sorry, Jane. Um, it's heart, heartbreaking. These, these stories have got to be told. One of my friends says that COVID grief is quite the same as other grief. Nobody who hasn't experienced this doesn't know just what it's like. And I cannot thank those people enough at the hospital. I've joined the Yellow Hearts to remember and John Wilson and my friends at Yellow Hearts to remember. We all know what it's like. And I want to say thank you, Karen, so much. And thanks to you. I mean, such devotion for your, for your husband uh, in his passing. I mean, he must have been such a character. Yeah. So loved. I think that's why it was so difficult to recognise him when he was in the hospital because... As Matthew said, mummy's fought COVID for a fortnight. You know, he, he, he wouldn't exactly look his bouncy self. But um, and I think he'd almost gone then. You know, his body was there. But I think Goff had flown free. And the one thing that holds me together is he didn't suffer. He went on that ventilator. 
and he didn't really ever wake up. He, he vaguely woke up, but they said he was rather um, sleepy and things. And of course, I am so scared that he was scared. He lives with me all the time. Was he scared? I wasn't there. I couldn't hold his hand. If he was scared, I wasn't there to talk to him. Somebody else had to be there when he died. I couldn't even do that for him. Okay. All I can do is love him forever. Do you feel guilty about those things? Yes. Yes. Of course I feel guilty. I felt guilty making fun of him, telling him it was the man flu, although I was treating him perfectly normally, which perhaps is a good thing. I feel guilty that I couldn't visit him. And and I knew I couldn't visit him. I feel so thankful to the hospital that they let us go in because a lot of hospitals didn't. And to first of all, they said it's only one at a time. And then they said, no, you can both go in together. I'm so grateful that they let Matthew and I go in together because I felt I failed him because I don't know what I said to him in that room. I was so, so shocked. And I've had to have post-traumatic stress counselling because of that experience the the noise the death rattle I can remember its name now that haunted me and and I've had to untangle all that and have you managed to do that Jane yes thank god thank god yes professionally I've had to do that and I've been helped so much with that this grief you know nearly nine months and people would say oh pull yourself together you know it's nine months now come on get on with life but life isn't the same for me because he's gone and life isn't the same for anybody at the moment so I don't know what my life's going to be in the future I I have no idea I can't can't go out and try and meet new friends i can't join a gardening club and talk about weeds or something to try and try and start to carry on without him but i can't do that i can't i can't i can't talk to you in person um i can't talk to my gp in person very very lonely very lonely um tell me in the time that he that goff was in hospital I'm presuming that you weren't able to speak to him on the telephone or there weren't any... No, because he was on a ventilator. Right. He was um, uh, asleep, um, semi-conscious. They would say, they rang twice a day, every day, and they would say, "Do do you want to send a message? And the first thing I did was say, please don't call him Godfrey. They put a notice above his bed to call him Goff. They asked one stage when they were lessening the um, the the sleepiness. And Matthew said, would you please tell him to hurry up and get well, the old bugger, because they used to talk to each other like that when Matthew grew older. And they said that Goff tried to smile when they told him what Matthew had said. And although that's lovely, I'm thinking he was conscious enough that he knew he wasn't very well. 
you know that they said when they reduced the sedation, he tried to take the ventilator pipe out. He kept on trying to take it out, which is a normal human thing if you've got something stuck down your throat. And and I have to rely on their kindness that they reassured him. But when you think of that yourself, you'd be petrified that you couldn't speak and that other people were there. And I couldn't just hold his hand and say, it's all right, Goff, I'm here. I couldn't do that. I had to rely on the kindness and love of those professionals there. And I know that they did every single thing to keep him alive. They they fought with him. And that doctor gave me a cuddle. She, she knew how much we loved each other. And that was a human being giving another human being a cuddle. And of course, I can't even do that now. I can't, nobody can cuddle me. Tell me about Goff's twinkling eyes. He always had twinkling eyes. He always got twinkling eyes. It was just part of Goff that you could see those twinkling eyes. That On some of his pictures, photos, you can see those twinkling eyes. And that was the one thing when I walked around the edge of the bed... And I looked and there were, his eyes were partly closed, but his twinkling eyes were there. I think they were probably unseeing, but his twinkling eyes were there. What colour were his eyes? Very blue, very sparkling, almost the blue of your T-shirt. That sort of colour, those were Goff's eyes. And you see, I'm smiling just thinking about them and, and, and the times that, you know we'd we'd laugh and he'd say I don't believe it when something else had gone wrong or um when we were on our so-called honeymoon we decided we were going to panel the side of the bath with some wooden panels we'd found in the loft but we didn't know they were warped so he had the panels one end and I had the, the end of the panel the other end. And when he inserted his panel, mine came flying out. And when I inserted my panel, his came flying out. And, you know, and he was saying, well, come on, put your... And I said, I have. And then I looked and I said, they're all warped. And we just stood in the bathroom and laughed. And those are the things I remember. Those are the things... His roast lunches, he loved, loved, loved his roast lunches. His Brussels sprouts, his garden, he loved his garden, beautiful garden. The red rose we planted for our 25th wedding anniversary. And it would have been our 30th in July this year. So we missed out by a couple of months. If you could go back and change anything, Jane, what would it be? being there in the hospital. I acknowledge he had to die. I don't know what the COVID did to him. I I don't know. Uh, I mean, his death certificate says COVID-19 pneumonia. I don't know what else it had done to him. But I wasn't there when he needed me. I'd been there all the way through our marriage. I'd been when anything sad happened and, and, and anything good had happened. We'd done it together. For 16 days, the last 16 days of his life, 
I wasn't there with him. I couldn't be there with him. And I know the hospital couldn't let me. I know that. And they did their best, but I never really said goodbye to him. Perhaps we said goodbye on the phone. I sort of knew, but my poor goff. My poor, poor goff. And every time they say the numbers on the television, I'm thinking there's another 500 and what people going through what I'm going through. How many thousands of us are dreading this Christmas? We're not having roast at Christmas, Matthew and I. We haven't had a roast since Goff's been gone because he's not here. And of course, because you can't say goodbye. It took me a long time to even realise that he really was dead. I, they made a mistake, you know, it's because you don't see them. You, you, you don't, and it's so unexpected. I didn't see my mum after she died, but she'd been ill for months and, and I was pleased it was her time. She was released. Golf had got so much more living to do, so many more hundreds of people to help. And the town of Farringdon here were bereft. So many people still now. And that makes me proud. But it also makes me realise that he should still be here helping them. Because that's what he wanted to do. How do you feel about the government handling of the pandemic? If they'd locked down a fortnight earlier, he'd be here. I joined the Yellow Hearts to try and draw attention to that fact and for people to understand what we were talking about. And I joined it to try and preserve life. I felt that God wanted me to do that. He wanted to preserve life. And I wanted to do it for him to preserve life. And I failed. Thank God I'm not in government, but they don't know what we're going through, all of us. What do you want to see happen now, Jane? I want this vaccination out. I want it out as soon as possible. I keep on saying they'll have me first in the line. I'll roll my sleeve up. We've got to... We conquered measles all those years ago. We conquered all these other things. We have got to conquer this pandemic. We have got to stop people having to suffer. We've, we've got to get a move on. We've got to do something. People who aren't affected are just going through all the things that they have to do. And I know that, but... I'm a teacher. I want to be back out there teaching. I want to be helping these children. I can't do that till I've had a vaccine. I can't. I don't even know whether I'm immune. They think I may be, but I can't even get the test to know if I'm immune so that I can get back out there. On the way home on Tuesday, a lady had slipped over in the town here and I just automatically went and helped her up and and asked her if she was all right and did all those things. And she said, it's a pity we lost that kind man. You know, that kind man that used to help everybody. Did you know him? 
And I tried not to cry because I knew I'd upset her. I said, yes, he was my husband. And she said, he'd be so proud of you. And all I did was help her up and brush a few dead leaves off her dress. So many people have lost golf, not just me. And so many people throughout this country. It's not just the people that are related to them. It's all the others that have lost them. Can I ask you, in terms of what you've been through and your loss, what's the one thing you wish people understood? That COVID grief is so, so cruel. It's different to other grief. You can't understand that unless you've, you've had it, unless you are, have got it. But it is so cruel. There are no, there are no goodbyes. There are, there are no ceremonies, really. There, Yes, we could have had three people in a crematorium, but that would have just crucified us even more. There are no goodbyes. We are left unfulfilled. Un, I haven't given Goff, the town of Farringdon haven't given Goff the thanks they want, and they have begged me to, they want to do something for him. They want to recognise what he did. But I can't even do that now because of COVID. What would I you can't even honour him for the people he, he served here in Farringdon, let alone for myself and my husband. What, what would you like to see happen in terms of remembering him in the town? I don't know. Because we didn't talk about it. He used to joke about his funeral and how he'd have a blue light on the coffin. And, and as the coffin went round the corner, he, he'd have the blue flashing light on. And how when the coffin went, he wanted them to play. I do like to be beside the seaside. And one of our close friends has played that for him out in the open air. But I don't know. I... Because COVID has occupied the whole world for so long. Everything is taking so long and I worried he's forgotten. I'll never forget him. But we can't even honour him in his own town at the moment. I can't even honour him almost in his own home at the moment. He's just a number. Jane, is there anything else that you would like to add? I want to thank you. And I hope you broadcast this. I want to thank you for trying to show people just what this evil, evil virus is doing and that we're not just numbers. We are human beings. Thank you, Karen, so much.